Bless you, Brian. So grateful to be at Radiant Life. How are you doing this morning? Oh, come on, y'all. It's first service. You got to be a little bit more up and go. Ready? How are you guys doing this morning? Okay. So good to be at Radiant Life today. As uh, Pastor Brian said, my name is Josh Williford, and I get the privilege of serving all 296 Assemblies of God churches in the state of Ohio. Isn't that incredible? God is at work across Ohio. Whether you're aware of it or not, you're a part of something very, very special. You are a part of a family of churches here in Ohio. About right at this very moment or in the next few minutes, we're going to see about 45,000 people worship God in the Assemblies of God Church here in the state of Ohio. That's an incredible thing. God is at work. 75,000 people calling Assemblies of God Church their home here in Ohio. But that's not even all of what you're a part of. You're a part of 3 million people this Sunday morning who will worship Jesus all across the country in 13,000 churches. That's really incredible. But that's not it. And you ready for this one? You're a part of 350,000 churches. Listen. That's a big number. For context, how many of you are familiar with a little local chain called McDonald's? Yeah? There are 35,000 McDonald's chains in the world. We have 350,000 churches in 220 countries and territories. The United Nations is only in 180 of them. Literally, the sun never sets on an Assemblies of God church. Every 90 seconds, someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Every 90 minutes, a new pastor is launched and a new church is launched, and you are a part of that. Isn't it good to be a part of an incredible thing that God is doing around the world? Man, it is so incredible to see what God is doing in churches just like this one all across our state, across our country, and across our world. We're so grateful. I'm so grateful to be with you this morning and uh, to get to share the word of the Lord. Of course, um, your pastor and I uh, go way back into uh, the days of college. Um, Fun fact about Chris and I, uh, we served on sophomore class council together at Central Bible College. I was a sophomore class president and he was the sophomore class vice president. And thank God the Lord works in our lives and we're uh, maybe a bit more mature than we were uh, back in those days. Uh, so, so thankful to be here. My, my family's not able to be with me this morning. Uh, they ha- they're uh, unable to, to travel with me today, but, but uh, I have a wonderful family. Oh, there they are. They're right there behind me. So uh, my wife is uh, the student life director at SCU Ohio, uh, our regional campus of Southeastern here in the Columbus area. And then those are my two kiddos. Uh, Chandler's my oldest. He's 13. And then, then Brady is uh, 11. And I think going on like... Um, 75. I don't know. He's a, kind of an old guy in his heart, I think. Um, so uh, he uh, is 11, getting ready to go into sixth grade. So I'm about to have two middle schoolers. And uh, so subsequently, um, we're going to be having a prayer meeting today um, because I don't know if you know this, uh, if you've ever been through that. That is different. Um, I have wondered for a long time how, you know, you read that story in the Old Testament about Abraham taking his son up and like, thinking about sacrificing him, and he had every intention to do so, and you think, how could anybody ever do that to one of their kids? And you have this thought, maybe, maybe Isaac was a teenager, and then like, it just makes sense, right? You're at least going to consider it, right? Like, you're at least going to think through, right? So, um, so anyhow, I, I, love, I love my family. Um, 
so grateful uh, for them. I, I uh, often reflect back on to the beginning of the journey uh, with, with Chandler, and uh, boy, that was, uh, uh, we were so young, and man, we didn't have any money, and sure didn't know what to do, and, and of course, we found out we were having Chandler, found out Tasha was pregnant, and and those nine months, if you've ever been through this, you know you collect all the things. You never knew a, such a small person could need so much um, stuff, right? And so you have all, all of the various uh, things that you have to pull together, and you spend all of those nine months going, uh, acquiring the things and learning about the things, and then also just like taking classes, um, you know, about how to have this baby and all this stuff. And finally, the day gets there, and the baby comes, and I, I had this dramatic revelation when Chandler came along, and it was uh, that I'd spent the last nine months uh, preparing to have a baby. I had not spent any of the time preparing to keep a baby. Um, those things are not the same. Um, I, I drove home in silence, terrified at probably 15 miles an hour with white knuckles because I did not know what to do next. They just gave me that baby. Like, how irresponsible can a hospital be? A, you know, a society should be fixing this because they just hand you the baby and just like, here you go. You know, like, hope the car seat works. Like, that's how it works, right? We spent all that time. I, I know we've all had those moments in our life where what happened was, was that we, um, we hit this crossroads, we finally got somewhere, but we really didn't know what to do next. The thing we'd always been preparing for, whether it be graduating or getting that job or whatever it may be, I remember coming in, I pastored a church for 10 years in Northeast Ohio, I was very young, lead pastor, was voted in at 26 years old, and I, I had my office all set up that first day, and and put it all in place, and then I sat down behind my desk, and I did not know what to do next, right? Because you often get to that place in life where you get there, but you don't know what you need to do when you get there. And um, there's this moment, one of my favorite moments, I, I, um, I love, 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 like everyone, but I, I love the book of Acts. It's probably my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, for me, it's just, it's just where I live, um, and uh, there's this moment at the beginning of the book of Acts like this for the disciples. Now, now, for you to be able to get your hearts to this moment, I want to give you a really brief recap of what's happened to them since the beginning. So all of them start out with some kind of origin story where Jesus taps them on the shoulder. And he says, hey, come follow me. Some of them are fishermen. Some of them are doing government work. Some of them are doing any number of different things. One of them is a terrorist. I mean, it's just a whole thing, Okay. So Jesus taps them on the shoulder, and they, they somehow, through the, the compelling voice of the Holy Spirit, that can be the only, the only reason you do this, because they, they left where they were, and they followed Jesus. This wasn't just, hey, I quit my job that I, I just kind of got. This was, I quit my, my, my profession that has been handed down from my father and his father and his father and his father, and I left everything to follow Jesus. Literally, it's like pushing every one of my chips in the middle of the pile for this guy I just met. And of course, what they saw in those few years they followed Jesus, they saw him do miracles, right? They saw him do a blind eyes open, demons being cast out. They saw him walk on water. Hello, come on. Like they saw him feed thousands of people, not just once, but twice at least recorded in the scriptures. I mean, they saw him do an incredible thing, but it wasn't just what he did. It's what he said. In fact, there's a compelling argument that could be made in the gospels 
that says that what he said was far more incredible than what he did through miracles. In fact, in fact, when he would speak, there was this phrase that you find in the New Testament. It says that he spoke as one who had authority. That he had this ability to penetrate through all of, of the nonsense that we throw up and all the, the calluses we bring through the traumas of our life and all the, the challenges and the questions. And he had this ability to speak right through that and he cut to the very heart of people. And then, just as it's like climbing up at the top, I mean, we're getting ready to hit the climax of the story. And then it takes a weird turn. Where one moment they're celebrating in a similar fashion to what we celebrated a moment ago in communion. They're in the Last Supper, they're in the, the Passover meal, and everybody's having a good time in the next few hours, Jesus would be arrested, and of course, and within hours of that, he would be tried, and then hours of that, he would be executed. Imagine if you took the most incredible risk of your life, and you pushed all the chips into the middle, and then that didn't pan out. I mean, that's essentially what the disciples felt. Not only were they fearing for their own lives, that's why all of them scatter except for one of them. All, all 12, ex- or 11 of the disciples, well, 10 of them, one of them commits suicide, 10 of the others, he, 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 they all scatter and hide because they're worried they're next. That they're going to get wiped out. John is the only one that stands next to the cross. They're terrified. They're heartbroken, they're, 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 they're confused, they're all the things in the depths of the, the sorrow they're in, they could not be further down. And then there's this whiplash that occurs in their life, where the, the depths of their sorrow are met with the highest of joys as Jesus emerges from the tomb. And it's not just the highest of joys, it's the heights of confusion. Jesus is appearing in rooms, guys. This, that doesn't happen every day, right? Stuff, that's weird. Let's get that down to it, right? So Jesus now spends the next 40 days trying to help them sort out what in the world just happened. We finally got there. So with all that in context, Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, now this is basically a question. Jesus, when are you going to, you know, to use the phrase, I think it's from like Independence Day, the alien movie, um, kick the tires and light the fires, okay? When are you, I mean, if Jesus can come back to the dead, surely lasers can come from his eyes, right? Like he could probably wipe out an army, right? You figure that because that's what they thought the Messiah was supposed to do. They thought the Messiah was supposed to come and establish the kingdom here on earth. They thought they, they, they were, we're going to get this thing right again. Of course, he will, but just not like that. In fact, Jesus responds to them saying, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in all Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Oh. So Jesus says, listen, it's not, uh, the the translated version of this is it's above your pay grade to figure out when this is all going to go down. But I'm going to give you something to do. But you, 
you will receive power. That, that you is kind of an interesting thing there. And in, in the, I won't like go too nerdy. You hang on with me for a second. If you don't like nerdy things, then ignore me and check in back in a second. So in, in Greek, there's a lot of ways that we know if something is um, first person plural, second person plural, you know, all of, or, or singular or whatever it may be. And, and there are these prefixes and suffixes that get attached. And this particular um, version of the word you, Y-O-U, is a plural you. Uh, it's a plural second person pronoun, which basically, um, I grew up in Oklahoma, and so the better thing to put here is y'all, okay? That's how we knew that it was everybody, okay? Um, But y'all will receive everybody. Who's included in the you? Everybody who is there, not just the apostles, not not, not just the special people, but everybody, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, everybody who was gathered for this moment. Some will record this as many 500 people, but you all will receive, which implies you don't have something yet, power. That power is the Greek word dunamis, which basically means the capacity of God. When Luke uses this word, who's the author of Acts, he refers to the miracles that Jesus would do. He says that everybody is going to do the power that Jesus did, and their brains are exploding at this point. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, wait a second, my Old Testament brain, because that's the brain they had, says, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit only ever comes upon special people. He only ever comes upon judges and prophets and kings and priests. He only ever does that even amongst that group for very special occasions. That everybody's going to do the works that Jesus did. And, and the Holy, I, I, wait a second, I'm a special person. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I've been there, Judea. I know where that's at, Samaria. I don't want to go there. Um, and all the earth, I've never been more than 30 miles from my home. I mean, this was such a confusing sentence. It was a a mind-blowing sentence. This is one of the most important. If you took out all the rest of the book of Acts, this is what you could leave behind. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit would come upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it sends the disciples into a mental tailspin. And then Jesus does, I think, one of the weirdest things that Jesus ever did. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, and behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand Looking up into heaven, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here's what goes down. Put the sequence together. Jesus just says one of the most power-packed, confusing sentences the disciples have ever heard because it's beyond the paradigms of their mind. And before they had an opportunity to ask a follow-up question, he like Peter Pan David Blaine's up into the sky. Like, we read this stuff. How many of you have heard this stuff your whole life? Like Jesus going up, okay? We read this as if it's just normal. None of y'all have ever seen anybody legitimately float up into the sky off the ground. Listen, that changes your Sunday afternoon if that happens. 
Like that, that's no joke, right? They are so dumbfounded that angels appear in front of them, and that's not the most exciting thing that happened that day. I mean, it's unbelievable, but why? My question was, I remember reading this passage a few years ago and going, wait a second, I've heard this my whole life, but why did Jesus do that? Why would Jesus choose to use this vehicle to go into heaven? There's lots of ways that this could have gone down. I mean, Jesus has already appeared and disappeared in front of them multiple times at this point. Why? Why does he choose this? And, and here's what I've learned over the years of following Jesus and reading the scripture is that Jesus never does anything by accident. I do things by accident all the time. Jesus only ever operates on purpose. So what? What was Jesus doing? Why did Jesus lift into the sky? It turns out he wasn't the first one to do it. And what Jesus is doing, we'll look at it in just a moment, is he's creating an object lesson that's going to help him understand what Acts 1a and beyond is going to mean. And he's pulling back, he's reaching back into the Old Testament so that he can be able to give them a firm understanding of what he's doing in their life. So we're going to flip our Bibles back to the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Um, and uh, he, here's where we're going to be. We're going to be introduced to two, um, two primary characters and then a secondary group of characters. And um, primary character here is Elijah. Elijah is the, the if you ask the Old you know, the people of Jesus' time, who is the prophet? Like, if you could underline, he's the goat. Um, it's, it's Elijah. Elijah is the prophet of the Old Testament. And then he has a protege that we, we learn about in 1 Kings chapter 19 and beyond, that his name is Elisha. So Jah is older, Shah is younger, because uh, um, I had to grow up trying to figure out which one was which. And so uh, Elijah is older, and Elisha is following behind him. Uh, and in a second, we're going to get introduced to this other group of guys um, called the Sons of the Prophets. Uh, the Sons of the Prophets are kind of goobers in the story, okay? They're, they're, they're kind of jokers. And so we're going to see that play out because Elisha, we don't have time to unpack it today, Elisha gets very frustrated with these guys as he goes through his time. So 2 Kings chapter 2 says this. Now when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were with her were in Bethel came out to Elisha. They said, do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? He said, yes, I know. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho, and the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho drew near to, the, to Elisha and said, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know. Keep quiet. And then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them 
as they were both standing by the Jordan. So let's uh, get our minds. I'm a very uh, you know, mental image kind of thinker. So we've got to get our minds there. We've got to get our hearts in this scene here. Elisha has followed him from city to city to city. Everybody somehow knows. We don't know how, but everybody somehow knows that God's getting ready to do something in Elijah's life. I don't know if there was like a bulletin that got issued or, you know, Facebook post. I don't know what's going on, but like something happened that everybody knew what was going on and what was about to go down. And so Elijah and Elisha are headed their way. And finally, they land at the Jordan River. I don't know if you know if stuff happens at the Jordan River in the Bible. Ultimately, Jesus is baptized at the Jordan River. John the Baptist operates at the Jordan River. But most importantly, in their history, God met them at the Jordan River um, when he moved them from from the the slavery of the wilderness that they had been in into the promised land. He He had parted the waters. He had done something miraculous, just like he had done at the Red Sea. Because God often does the same thing the same way to help us understand this is him. And so what he does at the Red Sea is part the waters, and so there's this water miracle, and then he, he, he parts the waters again when we cross the Jordan, and now we are at those self-same waters where God is about to do something incredible, and guess who knows it? Elijah and Elisha, and then these jokers over here, right? So here's the fun part, is you have Elijah and Elisha standing near the water, then somewhere along the way, down in the bushes probably, that's how my mind sees it, is, is, are the sons of the prophets who are like, someone's about to go down, so let's just creep over here, right? Um, they're being weird over here, okay? So Elijah and Elisha are standing at the ed- edge of the Jordan River, the place where often God will be at work. Then Elijah took his cloak which was this mantle that he would wear. This was like his uniform, that that if he got spotted in a crowd, they would know he's a prophet. So he takes his mantle, which is the symbol of the Holy Spirit's anointing on his life, the symbol of his, his prophetic power, and he rolls it up and he strikes the water. And the Bible says the water were parted from one side to the other until two of them could walk over on dry ground. There are only three occasions in the Bible where this type of miracle occurs. Red Sea, the first Jordan crossing, do you think this might be important to us? Do you think this might be a load-bearing wall for us theologically? So then, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now listen, I said I grew up in Oklahoma. I grew up in Pentecost. I grew up in the Assemblies of God. And I grew up in Southern Pentecost, which is a lot different than what I've learned it to be down up here in the upper Midwest. My pastor used to preach, and he preached loud. In fact, he would say, if I don't have anything to say, I just say it louder, okay? Um, I'm in dead serious. It happened, okay? So I remember hearing this sermon preached, because, man, this will preach, right? A double portion of your spirit, except it was loud and shouty, and there was a splash zone for spit, right? I want a double portion of your power. Bless God, ha! Right? Like, that was how it was preached, Right? And usually what it meant was, I don't just want one slice of pie, I want two, okay? And how many of you know there's nothing wrong with two slices of pie, okay? That's a good thing. That's preaching right there. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, right? You know what I'm saying? But that's not what Elisha was asking for. 
We read that as English readers in 21st century, and we think that's math. That it's, if, if I have one portion, that's what Elijah, Elijah has. He's got one, and he actually just wants two, and that's not what's taking place there. It's actually a reference to inheritance. See, in, in the ancient world, what would take place uh, when a father would die would be that he had a responsibility to keep um, his family safe beyond his generation, right? And so what would happen is, is a, a lot of the wealth and resource would be at the father. Uh, you see this with like um, uh, Isaac and Jacob and Esau, right? Um, the father would uh, offer his blessing upon the eldest son and give him what was called a double portion. So the estate would be divided up into a two-thirds portion and a one-third portion. The two-thirds portion would go to the eldest son. The one-thirds portion would be spread amongst the other, uh, uh, other sons that were there. But the responsibility of the eldest son and the double portion was to continue the work the father had done. So it was the, the son's job to make sure the family was safe and prospering and doing well, while the other sons were just, you know, sort of benefiting off of the father's uh, good work. And so what Elijah is being asked here, what Elisha is, is imploring here, is he's saying, I want to continue the work you've done in the way that you have done it. What I'm asking for is your mantle. I'm asking for your inheritance. I'm asking to continue the same miracles and the same ministry and the same prophetic voice that you've had. I want that. I want to continue that after you're taken. And Elijah responds. He says, you've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you don't see me, it shall not be so. And they went on a little bit and talked. Behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elisha went up, or Elijah went up in, in a whirlwind. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And then he took hold of his clothes and he tore them into pieces. He, he took up the cloak of Elijah. That, that symbol of God's anointing and power and, and presence, his prophetic mantle, he, he takes that up because it had fallen off of Elijah down somewhere along the way and fallen onto the ground. And he went back and stood at the banks of the Jordan. Now you know what I know, which he didn't just go over to the banks just to ponder. He wasn't going fishing. He had the mantle in hand. And the first thought we think is, uh, I wonder, if I strike the water, will it part? Of course, that's a thought that comes in your mind. I, I can't speak for Elisha. I can speak for Josh. And if it was me, that thought would be there. But there'd be another thought, wouldn't there? If I strike the water, what if it doesn't? Anybody else there with me? Real talk, right? Of course there's the one thought, like what, what if it does? But then there's the what if it doesn't? Now, if, if he's alone, who cares, right? We do lots of stupid stuff um, when we're alone, right? Some of y'all were singing in the shower this morning. You have no business singing, right? You're just alone, right? It's safe. 
But he's got some Pop-Tarts down the river, river right? Some guys that are, that are kind of gawking some creakers, creepers. He's not alone. And I can only imagine standing on the edge there at the banks of Jordan. He's got this thought in his brain that says, if I strike the water and it doesn't part, what happens then? Everybody will know. Now, now what's fascinating about this is he's been given everything he asked for. We will know. I mean, you know the story. And even if you don't, you know where it's going to go. He's been given all of the power that Elijah had. He is literally holding everything. God has given him his answer. He has given him every resource that he needs to be able to do what is in front of him. But imagine what could happen. Imagine how this story would have been different had he said, man, I don't know. And I often wonder in my life, how many of the dreams that God has placed on my heart, I'm literally holding everything that God has, has for me to do. I'm having everything that I need to be able to move forward in what God's called me to do. But because there are people across the river, I go, oh, I don't know. I wonder how many dreams are still born. Not because God has not provided Because there's folks across the room, I'm just worried about what they're going to say because we all know there are people in our lives that are just waiting to see us fail. The reason I know this is because I have a Facebook account. I know how this works. And I wonder in a place like this one, I mean, just the, the math says that God is working in some people's lives some things that you've had. I mean, think about how often Elisha was thinking about that. He went from city to city to city. He had been pondering on this for we don't even know how long. And I wonder how long you've been chewing over the thing that God has placed in your life, the, the calling that God has placed down inside of you, that ministry that he's calling you to do, that, that friend across the street that doesn't know Jesus and you're the only Christian on the block. I mean, literally everything that, that, that's going on and you're standing there, oh, if I step out, what if? And you got literally everything you need in your hands. There's no reason to hold back. Thank God, Elijah, or Elisha, has the courage to walk up to the water. And the Bible says when he struck the water, the water parted from one side to the other. And Elisha went over. It's interesting, the commentary of the sons of the prophets, they said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Standing on the side of a hill, Jesus looks at his disciples. And he says, all of you are going to receive the same power that you've seen me operate in over these last number of years. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you because it's no longer that the Holy Spirit comes upon special people. He comes upon all all flesh. 
And you're going to go to Jerusalem, to places you know. You're going to go to Judea, places that you're familiar with. You're going to go to Samaria, places that you don't look like you or talk like you or act like you or even that you don't even like to be in. And you're even going to go to the ends of the earth, places you've never even conceived of. You don't know their language. You don't know their culture. You're going to go all over the world when the Holy Spirit comes upon you because what you're going to do is you're going to continue my work in the world. When I'm giving you right now, I'm the Elijah, and you all are the Elishas. I'm going to pour my spirit out. My mantle is going to fall upon you. It's going to come down on you, and you will do the work that I did. You'll continue it on. You're not going to do a new work. You're going to do my work in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what happened because 10 days later, we just celebrated last Sunday, they waited and they prayed, they did a church business meeting in the middle of it, which is the weirdest thing in the world to have happened in those days. But they did that, and then they prayed. And on the day of Pentecost, that mighty wind, those tongues of fire set upon that group, and they split up on everyone. And everything changed for them. Everything changed for them. That on that day, they began to do the work of Jesus. I mean, you took a guy like Peter who just a few short days earlier couldn't stand up in front of a servant girl, and he stood up in front of a crowd of people and said, this same Jesus that you put on a cross has risen again, and you need to be saved. He, he was so anointed with the Holy Spirit that a crowd said, shut up, what must we do to be saved? I have preached for a long time. I have never had any crowd say, please stop talking so, I can get, so you can you know, respond to an altar call. And if you follow the book of Acts, what you will see over and over and over again are miracles that look a whole lot like the book of the miracles that took place in the Gospels. Why is that? It's because Gospel writers like Luke were trying to underline and, and, and bold the text so that you would know this same Jesus ministry can be done through not just some of you, not just through a special class, but all believers. You need it. You need it. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, has this powerful little thing in it, where he, the Bible says that he ordered the disciples not to depart from Jerusalem. He said to wait for the promise of the Father. Jesus did not consider Acts 1.8, Acts 2.4, baptism in the Spirit to be optional equipment. He didn't consider this to be like, like you're going to buy a car and, oh, I don't, I don't need the seat warmers. He's saying, this is the engine. You literally cannot operate without it. And there's truth to that, isn't there? The reason why I know is because I drove in today. Drove in, I live just, just north of um, Heartland Conference Retreat Center, the campground. I drive through northwest Columbus and uh, to Dublin, and I know just beyond that there's, you know, Plain City and some smaller communities there, and you go a little bit here, and it's Hilliard, and you go a little bit here, and it's Worthington. 
I drove by the homes that you drive by every single week. I drove by the cars that are probably used, you know, used to driving in this area. And what I know is what you know. Is all of those homes and all of those cars are full of people. We're on a trajectory toward death and lostness and separation with God. They have addictions, they have problems that are so challenging and so difficult. They have worldviews that uh, chain their mind and their heart. They have ideologies that are just, just, just like just cages for them. They have lostness that has gripped their soul. And the only thing that can break through that is the power of the Holy Spirit. The only thing that can set the captive free is the power of the Holy Spirit. The only thing that can change the heart from darkness to life, that can break addiction, that, that, that can reunite marriages, that can, can, can conquer the, the, incredible, the incredible foe of lostness is the power of the Holy Spirit. You have friends and you have coworkers, you have, you have loved ones, you have, you have neighbors who right now, apart from you stepping into their world, apart from you going across the street or going to that cubicle, apart from you going to that, that classroom, apart from you just taking the first step, they will not know Jesus. They don't have a plan B. You are plan A. Anybody get terrified about that? I do. I'm a professionally trained minister with four degrees. And it causes me to shake in my boots. Except that when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are not operating with a power that comes from intelligence or anything gathered from the things of this world. You are operating with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. This is not optional. This is the inheritance of Christ for his people. I'm going to invite Kenji to come back here. Would you do this for me? Would you just stand across this room? Begin to open your heart to what God might want to do in these next moments. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in your own way this morning. A couple of different responses here today. One of those is maybe, maybe you stand, you're standing on the proverbial edge of the river this morning. And for you, you're, you're, you've been holding you've been, the things that God you've asked God for, they're in your hands, you've got everything you need. And for whatever reason, you've been standing there on the edge of the river. You're worried about what someone might say. You're worried about failing. You're worried about the voice of maybe someone who spoke something into your life when you were just even a little kid. And you've been standing there. But somewhere along the way this morning, the, the Holy Spirit grabbed the hold of your heart and it's time to strike the water. Whatever that may look like for you, and we don't have to un unpack all the ways that that can maybe look for you this morning, but it's time to strike. 
It's time to say yes to the Lord. It's time to, to walk into whatever he's called you to do. That's one group you might respond that way. And the second group, maybe maybe for you, you've never really had a, an education to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or maybe you have. Maybe you were filled with the Holy Spirit, and you've, you've had that experience for your majority of your life. Or maybe you've been praying through that today. Regardless, if you're in that second camp, you would say, you know what? I need the fullness and the power of the Spirit. I want to walk in the inheritance of Christ. The inheritance of Christ. All across this room, whether it's the first group or the second group, would you just stick your hand in the air and say, I want that? You say, I want that. As you do, why don't you begin to pray this morning? I'm going to pray over us today. You, of course, can come forward to, to pray in, uh, for the next few moments. You can, you can do whatever the Lord puts onto your heart. I know there's a prayer team that would be available to pray with you if you want to respond in that way. But I want to pray, and as I pray, I, I want, don't want this just to be a, a Josh pray. I, I used to say as a pastor, I want this to be a me pray. I want this to be a we pray. I want you to lift up your voice because all, if you look at the book of Acts, every time the Holy Spirit said he's poured out or, or they were filled, the Bible says all were filled. And I would love this morning for it to be true that this place could be shaken with the power of the Holy Spirit and all, all could be filled. So can you make this place erupt with your prayer? Can you make this place erupt with your petition before the Lord to say, Holy Spirit, would you invade our space? As I pray, would you just pray this morning? God, we come to you now. And God, we confess that we don't have any of what it takes. God, we are fully aware of our feebleness. We're fully aware of our inadequacies, God. In fact, those inadequacies, those inadequacies and those insecurities often plague our heart and mind. But God, we know of your full sufficiency, God. We know of your full capability. And we are so grateful and so amazed, not only that you save us, that you redeem us, that you pull us out of the pit and set us into new life, that you adopt us as sons and daughters, but that you give us an inheritance. And that inheritance is the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above every other name, that right now in this very moment, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on Radiant Life Church in Dublin that you would do a work amongst your church this morning. God, in the same way that you moved in the book of Acts, the same way that you began to stir hearts in the book of Acts, where it's not one that was filled or a special class of people, but all were filled. God, may you do that this morning. God, I pray for those this morning that have been standing on the edge of the Jordan River, and for whatever reason, they are, they are waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting pray today that you would help them to strike the water. Would you remind them today that it's not going to be their power. It's going to be your power working through them. God, give them the courage. God, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. God, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. That the fullness and power of the Spirit may walk through this church so that as they are filled, that their community the homes in their neighborhood, the cubicles at their workplace, the people at the schools they go to, the grocery stores, God would be changed forever because they are full of the Spirit. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Brian, would you come?